program is a podcastform.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of Vanna and Rock and Roll Roll. The spell you run now will be broken by Chris Jericho. And it's Friday. It's A remedy for your Christmas hangover has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. How are we doing so far? Are y'all having a good time? We are just getting started.
like Paul Stanley said, it is a rock and roll party tonight. And there's nothing more partying than She's My Addiction from Sin and Bones by Fozzie. It's the song that Slash said, if there was any justice in the world, that would be a huge hit. Slash, such a great guest on Talk is Jericho. Two-part episode. Go back and listen to it now on PodcastOne.com. Also, Paul Stanley introduced that. You gotta have some Paul Stanley. My favorite guest, my 100th guest, my mentor, my hero, my friend. Go listen to Paul Stanley. Go listen to the big guy, Ryback. He uh, changed a lot of people's minds from the slander that was thrown upon him, unfairly in my opinion. People love the big guy. I love the big guy. I would work with the big guy anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Also on Talk is Jericho. Go back and listen through. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, so many great uh, stories on there and so many great guests to come. I'm doing this for you. This is the holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Did you like hearing Santa last week talking about the chimney sweeps? I got so much uh, information for you on Talk is Jericho. You got to listen to every episode. And I got a special episode for you today. We're going to do something a little different for the holidays. I did a couple of one-man shows in London over the summer. I called it London is Jericho. Chris Jericho live in London. Hung out with some fans, some amazing Jericho-holics over in the UK. Told some stories, answered some great questions, had an amazing time and I know a lot of you weren't able to get tickets to that show. It was sold out. So I recorded it on the uh, recommendation of Kevin Smith. Also a Talk is Jericho alumni who told me to record everything you do and and also, if you haven't heard the Kevin Smith Smodcast featuring Chris Jericho, which is me, go check that out as well. Kevin and I become bromance buddies. Good dude. He did, uh, I did, uh, he did my show, so I did his. Go check it out, Kevin Smith Smodcast. I'm sure you can find it online, on iTunes, whatever. I was on the show. It was amazing. And you're going to hear some great stories, amazing stories uh, from live in London. London is Jericho. Believe me, these stories cover everything. Uh, stories from my days with WCW, my initial time with WWE, the grib we pulled on Shane McMahon, my match and time with The Rock in Japan, and all the great stories I have about that. Great mood is involved. Okama is involved. If you speak Japanese, you know what that means. It means gay. I even answered some questions about auditioning for movies and TV, doing Dancing with the Stars, Fozzy questions, everything. You guys ask me everything. You find, find sexy beasts in London for London is Jericho. All that is coming up, but first I gotta say thanks to my great sponsors. Let me do this for free for you for twice a week. And a big thank you to all of you Jerichoholics for supporting my sponsors. Without you and them, I wouldn't be able to do this show, and I love doing this show for you. That includes Amazon. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to help us cover production costs. I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, and Amazon Canada. Hey, just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page, hey, then hit the top is Jericho Button. You get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon. For instance, the new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? You can get the last Fozzie record, Sin and Bones, which we played, uh, uh, She's My Addiction. It's a great, great tune. Or you can get my new book, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, which people are saying is their favorite Chris Jericho book. It's the third bestseller that I've done. New York Times bestseller. I want you to read it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to rock with me, man. You can take care of your entire holiday shopping list at Amazon. You can find everything. You can buy whatever you want not just jericho products go buy some uh hulk hogan products man would hulk hogan ever be a great guest for this show don't you think 
foreshadowing. So many great uh, things you can buy. Whether you uh, waited too long to buy your lovely lady a Christmas gift, there's still time. You can buy her a New Year's Eve gift. You got to do that on Amazon. And the truth about my Amazon links, you can buy whatever you want. It won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra charges. So if you happen to be doing some Amazon shopping, you can help out this show in the process and help me out in the process. You go to podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Eh? Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. You bookmark it so you can get to those links in one easy click. All right. Also, so many cool things coming up. Y2J, WWE Winter Tour. All these dates I'm doing only live events. I'm not doing any TV. I'm not doing any pay-per-views. I'm the reverse Brock Lesnar. I'm the reverse Rock. I only do the non-televised events. Here's what I got coming up. January 10th, Montgomery. 11th, Mobile. 16th, St. Louis, Missouri. 17th, Vegas. 18th, Houston. 23rd, Trenton, New Jersey. 24th, East Rutherford, New Jersey. January 31st, Edmonton. February 1st, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Home of my cousin Chad. Why? Because wise cousin Chad, my best friend Spiwi. Uh, uh, February 7th, Jacksonville, Florida. 8th, Canton, Ohio. 14th, Tampa, Florida. 15th, Fort Myers, Florida. 27th of February, Madison Square Garden. My favorite arena. My lineage. Ted Irvin, Chris, Chris Irvin, Chris Jericho. We have uh, we've performed in that arena. For he started there. He got traded to the Rangers in '69. So '69 to 2014. Oh, this will be 2015. Uh, we've been there for uh, I guess 45 years. Yeah, the Irvins have dominated Madison Square Garden for 45 years. I'm excited to go back. Uh, February 28th, Toronto, Ontario, and March 1st, Buffalo, New York. That is all the shows I'm doing on the Y2J WWE Winter Tour. I want you to come join me. Come check me out. WWE.com for all of the upcoming dates and uh, information. Then, Cinderblock Party World Tour. We're going in March. Heading over to the UK, Ireland, Europe. We're starting uh, March 4th in Belfast. Then we got Cork on the 5th. 6th is Dublin. 7th, Nottingham. 8th, Wolverhampton. 9th, Manchester. 10th, Glasgow. 11th, London at the Underworld. Huge show. 12th is Bristol. 13th is Exeter. 14th is Southampton. 15th is Brighton. Oh my gosh, that's 12 shows in a row. Am I crazy? Yes, I am. Then we're heading over the pond all the way to Europe. Paris, France, March 17th. 18th is Pratown, Switzerland. 19th, Munich, Germany. 20th, Mannheim, Germany. 21st, Bochum, Germany. We're going to all those places and I want you to check it out. FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and all VIP information. You won't be disappointed. Come hang out with the Foz. Come hang out with Jericho. I'll make your night a special, special night. Oh, Oh, yeah. All right. It's the holiday time. All of us have had a great Christmas. I hope you did. I know I did. I love Christmas. One of my favorite times of the year. Uh, Halloween and Christmas are my favorites. Love giving presents. Love getting presents. And I love sitting back with a fine Gigi and watching some Christmas movies. Now, I decided to go find a list. Uh, I went on to the lostogle.com. Okay, uh, one of the most uh, fine uh, places you can go, apparently, to uh, get movie reviews. And I was looking for the worst Christmas movies. Okay, and uh, the guy who wrote this says, Before we begin with my ranking of the worst Christmas films, here's the parameters. These movies must have had a theatrical release. No ABC Family Specials uh, or straight-to-home video crap here. 
Okay, so Miz's movies are out of this. Oh, come on. I love Miz. I love Miz's movie. Uh, was it called The Christmas Miracle? Go, Christmas Bounty. Go watch The Christmas Bounty in ABC Family. Miz should win an Oscar. He's my favorite guy. I love him. He's the best. Okay. Uh, they, uh, these movies must be somewhat current. That Santa takes down the Martian's masterpiece from the 50s is funny to reference, but who's actually seen it? Okay. Remember, these are bad movies. That's why there's no mention of Home Alone or Christmas Vacation, Trading Places, or Die Hard. We'll debate good Christmas movies some other time. All right. I realize this miss list might be pretty controversial but take it to the comments moles once again these are not my opinions i'm just reading somebody number 10 worst christmas movie elf now i could be one of the few people that doesn't like elf as much um i find it a little bit cheesy i love peter dinklage isn't as the uh the little person and will ferrell gets him really mad but uh james con uh, didn't really dig elf okay so a lot of people do like it. I'm not one of those people, so I will put this on the list of my least favorite Christmas movies. Okay. Christmas with the Cranks. Hated it. Uh, Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, kind of crappy. They uh, hate Christmas, and they want to avoid Christmas. The uh, only cool thing is, remember, Dan Aykroyd plays the neighbor who loves Christmas. Um, so Aykroyd... <laughs> with the connection to Jamie Lee Curtis, and they did a Christmas movie in Trading Places, which I'm not sure if you could really count it as a Christmas movie, but it does play, take place in Christmas, and Dan Aykroyd is a drunken Santa. So uh, Christmas with the Cranks on the bad list, Trading Places on the good list. Okay, then we got All Be Home for Christmas, Jessica Biel, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, my gosh. They teamed up for a clean family feature, All Be Home for Christmas, <laughs> way back in the 90s. Jonathan Taylor Thomas from Home Improvement. Wow, people loved him. Whatever happened to old Jamie? ATT. He was in the cover of all the teen magazines, man. But suddenly he's disappeared. I'll be home for Christmas. Uh, probably not a good movie. Four Christmases. All right, it's pretty sad. One of the funniest part about a movie is a baby puking. This is about Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's got a very strange chin. Big chin. She looks like kind of a Jay Leno of chicks. But people love old Reese. I love Vince Vaughn, even though every movie he's in, he looks like he's just been on like a two-week bender. Bags under his eyes. Fat, skinny guy. Horrible hair. But yet, he's funny. Four Christmases, uh, him and Reese had to go visit all four of their divorced parents. I like the movie. This guy apparently did not. Okay, he says, love actually. Anytime I see a uh, Hugh Grant movie, ah, done. <laughs> Hate it. Closing airport montage with God only knows playing in the background is the worst scene ever. Love actually. Don't watch it. Jingle All the Way. I love Jingle All the Way. He says, this is one of those insanely slapsticky, frustrating movies that only a child could love. But yet, I loved this sh- out of it when it came out so then why'd you put on the bad list i thought it was great uh schwarzenegger plays this guy who his name is howard which is the worst name for schwarzenegger and he is supposed to be in charge of getting his child the turbo man who's the hottest toy of the christmas season of course he forgets so he spends the last couple days before christmas trying desperately to find a turbo man doll uh so many great quotes in this i'm not a pervert put the cookie down put the cookie down and then of course big show as a uh a evil giant santa getting in a fight with howard slash schwarzenegger and sinbad is in there and then it ends up just falling apart in the last act where schwarzenegger actually becomes turbo man and uh sinbad becomes the super villain and chases after turbo man and then poor uh what's his name bounty or bartholomew or whatever the uh, turbo man's uh a sidekick and nobody wants to buy turbo man's sidekick and turbo man ah oh. So bad, and also known for uh, Jake Lloyd, pre-Anakin uh, Skywalker, being in this movie. Dad, I want a Turbo Man! Anyways, 
This guy doesn't like Jingle All the Way. I love it for the one line specifically. I'm not a pervert. Plus, Phil Hartman is in it. Amazing, amazing guy. Uh, another one, so number four, Surviving Christmas, one of Ben Affleck's numerous stink bombs of the early aughts. Uh, I regard pretty much anything Jandel, James Gandolfini was in, except for this. Yeah, Surviving Christmas, don't know it. Not a huge Affleck fan. I like some of his movies. I like the movies he did with Kevin Smith. Uh, those are good. And I'm sure he's going to be great as Batman. Uh, Batfleck, people are pissed off, not me. All right, Fred Claus, Vince Vaughn again. Maybe Vince Vaughn's going to destroy Christmas. He plays Santa's screw-up brother and steals the title from Tim Allen as the cheesy holiday movie champion. <laughs> there is a rollicking dance party with a bunch of drunk elves, so Fred Claus is not bad. Danny DeVito and Vince Vaughn together. How could, that, how could you go wrong? How could that be bad? Well, apparently this is bad. I have not seen Fred Claus, but from the review, apparently you should not see it either. All right. Let me go to Deck the Halls. What is this? How is it that one of the world's coolest teenagers grew up to be one of the most painfully awkward adults? In my mind, there's Ferris Bueller and there's Matthew Broderick. Zero relation. Deck the Halls. Christian Chenault is in it. Uh, apparently, her boobs are nice in the movie, but uh, Deck the Halls, don't care. I do like Santa Claus 3 because Martin Short is in it, and I love Martin Short. I think Martin Short is a comedic genius. I want Martin Short on this show. 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 I want him on this show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, number one, the worst Christmas movie according to this guy, Jack Frost. That's where Michael Keaton apparently gets turned into a snowman. Uh, in good faith, I can say I don't understand anything about this movie except for the snowman suit was made by Jim Henson Studios. That's the only redeeming quality. Listen, man. Michael Keaton in any movie is good. I haven't seen Jack Frost. Probably don't want to see it, but I do want to see Jack Frost uh, by, played by Martin Short in Santa Claus 3. I want Martin Short in this show. I want Martin Short in this show. I want Martin Short in this show. And Merry Christmas. All right. Good times. Great taste. London is Jericho. Chris Jericho live in London. Coming up. Talk is Jericho. So, ladies and gentlemen of Leicester Square, would you please welcome back to the stage the sexy beast, the king of the cowbell, the Ayatollah of rock and Roller, Y2J, the best in the world at everything he does. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage, Chris Jericho. Tony Schiavone, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my time has come. Oh, my time has come. People, don't you fear the reaper? Baby, don't you take my hand? People, don't you fear the creeper? Come on, baby, take my hand. La 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 la. Ding 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 La 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 la. Who would have thought after all these years I'd become a cowbell virtuoso? Who's got some questions? Where, oh, wanna, yeah. where, where should we start? Should we start this? How about right there? He was first. This gentleman here. 
So for everyone else's benefit, what was it like transitioning from WCW to WWE? What was the difference in the locker rooms? Well, um, I grew up as a big WWE fan. I, I never um, aspired to do anything but work there. I wanted to work in Japan and work around the world, but it was all with the goal of getting to the WWE. Because when I was a kid, there was really no internet, obviously. There was no dirt sheets. There was, there, all there was, was was magazines and what you saw on TV. And all we got in, in Winnipeg, represent you, was... Um, uh, WWE, and it's like, I want to do this, I, wanna, I, I wanted to be the intercontinental, cha- intercontinental champion, I just, that's all I wanted to do, I wanted to be like Ricky Steamboat, if I could just do that, it'd be so cool, so when I got the chance to go to WCW, I had just finished working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and then I was working in ECW at the time, and uh, I got a call from Jim Cornette, who was now working in the WWE, and he said, I got this idea for you, Chris, they're doing this thing where they're going to have five guys come in. And they're not going to be jobbers, guys that lose all the time, but they're not going to be wither- winners either. They're all going to have a gimmick, but they're not going to win. And uh, I was like, well, you're not really selling me on this too much, Jim. And he's like, and, then, and then it, so th- it was like there was the pug, and there was T.L. Hopper, the plumber. Back in the 90s when everyone had to have a, a job gimmick, a vocation. You know, there was a plumber and a garbage man and a policeman. And, and there was uh, Salvatore Sincerely. And I think Luis Vicoli was one. And then there was the, uh, the goon, which was a hockey player who came to the ring with boots that looked like skates. They had like, like a blade on them type thing. And I'm convinced that I was earmarked to be the goon. Hockey guys, dad played hockey, he's going to be the goon. And I just said, uh, Jim, I don't think, I, I want to wait till I get my chance. And he was like, oh, I'll put you down with, a, with an asterisk. I'll put you down no with an asterisk. I said, no, put me down no with a no. I'm not going to do this. So I, I, I was always wanting to go to WWE, but that was the only opportunity I had. And then I got the chance to go to WCW. So I went there. And it, it was a strange situation in WCW back in those days because it was all about the NWO, who were the, the, the top guys and really did kind of turn the whole business around and make WCW the top, uh, top company. But I still say to this day that it was the, the undercard of the guys like myself, like the younger guys that were working really hard and putting on great matches that had toured the world and traveled together for years. When we got there, like we were tearing it up every night because it was all about the NWO. And even when we were wrestling, they'd be like, oh, okay, Virgil just came in. And wow, and there's Michael Wall Street. Oh, body slam. Eddie Guerrero just did a suplex. This is it. No. Okay. And then we have Jim Neidhart is joining the NWO. And oh, Jericho just did a drop. Oh, this is it. No. And then Hogan. What's Hogan going to say? And so you would watch the matches and it would just be NWO talk, talk, talk. Ah. But it was our guys that made that company just as hot as NWO because the matches on top were so brutal. Uh, so red reels callback that it was the undercard of 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 the the guys putting on the great you know hard hitting matches that were making people leave going you know well uh, that Hogan Flair match kind of sucked but boy you know Eric, Jer- Jericho and Guerrero was great or whatever so um, I knew that it was time to pretty much leave about a year before it was like there was nothing going on here WCW was a great place to be if you're a kind of an older guy on the on the peak of his career on the way down because you make a lot of money there but if you're a young guy trying to work your way up there was nowhere to go because I used to call it like the Indian caste system you would come in at a certain level and just stay there because of what they paid you you would only get paid whatever your contract was so if you were making you know fifty dollars and Stevie Ray was making $500. There's no way that Jericho's ever going to beat Stevie Ray because he's making more. So that's kind of when I was like, it's time for me to get out of here. I got to go. I had a friend of mine that was working there at the time that had a connection with Vince Russo. 
so Vince Russo was told my friend that if he, Jericho wants to come to the WWE, I would love to have him. He's perfect for the company. And that's like, oh, this is great. This is all I needed to hear. And this was at Christmas time of 97. So I still had a whole year and like five months on my contract in WCW. But I was like, you know, I, 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 I want to go. I want to do this. So I had like the secret phone conversation with Russo where the WWE flew me to New York to go to Vince's house. Now, this is back in, like I said, 97, 98. Now, listen how crazy this is. So I, I'm like, okay, I'll go. So they gave me the ticket, which wasn't first class, by the way. I was like, this is cheap bastards. <laughs> Not that I'd ever sit in first class at that point. I just thought, WWE. Like, so I fly to, um, to uh, JFK Airport, and Vince's limo driver is waiting for me with a sign that says, Mr. Smithson. And I was like, you know, Mr. Smithson. And they had told me, you will be Mr. Smithson. Like, it's the secret name. I was like, Smithson? <laughs> Can I be like, you know, like Knoxville or something cool like that? Like Murgatroyd or something? Not that Murgatroyd is cool. but So I get there and he's standing like, I'm Mr. Smithson. He's like, come with us. They whisk me away into Vince's, uh, into Vince's limo and drive from JFK all the way up to the, the famed Stamford, Connecticut. Drop me off, and it's like, here we are at Vince's house. And I'm like, I'm going into Vince McMahon's house. I'm a nobody for WCW. Don't even know what the hell I'm doing here. Like, why am I here? Like, what, what am I doing? So I walk to the front door, and I'm like, door opens up. Hey, Chris, I'm Shane McMahon. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> Hi. And I go inside, and they take me into this, uh, uh, there's a door, and I walk through this hallway, and like there's this big, giant table, and sitting at the table is Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard, uh, Vince Russo, guy called Ed something or other that was one of the writers, guy called Bill, and then Vince McMahon just sitting there. Chris, come on in. <laughs> How are you, pal? Never met the man before in my life. Have a seat. We sit down. Would you like something to eat? We're ordering food. And it's like, um, and then I'm like, what should I eat? Like, is this a test? You know, like, what if I order, like, you know, should, should I order a steak and lobster? Or do I order, like, a salad? Like, what am I supposed to order? So I just waited to see what everyone ordered. And then what Vince ordered, he ordered, like, you know, I can't remember what he ordered, some kind of, like, you know, a club sandwich. I was like, well, the sandwich is okay. So roast beef sandwich? All right, roast beef sandwich for Chris. Make it a double. Double roast beef. Have a seat. I sit down at this table. And they're having a booking meeting, talking about what's going to happen that week on Raw. Now, I work for WCW. Just think about that for a second. Can you imagine now if like, somebody from TNA, like you know, Bobby Roode, went to Vince's house as they were writing SmackDown? Like, it would never happen. And I still had no idea why I was there. So I'm sitting at this table, and they're like, okay, uh, this week uh, D'Lo Brown will be working against Gangrel, and D'Lo's got to go over. And Bruce said, well, Vince, you know, uh, D'Lo went over last week on Gangrel, so maybe Gangrel should uh, they do a bloodbath, a DQ, and where's Bruce Pritchett imitation? I don't even know what he sounds like. Um, and so finally I'm, I'm like, uh, <laughs> and they're like, Chris, what do you think? Who, who do you think? Do you think Gangrel should take it this week? And I was, um, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, that's what you guys all think. Or should it be uh, D'Lo Brown? Maybe Gangrel, he's got the bloodbath, and, you know, it's kind of bloodbath, and double roast beef. So um, finally, they have the booking meeting. We have our lunch, and then uh, Vince's housekeeper brings out a big plate of, like, freshly baked brownies. 
And so he's like, dress up a brownie. Oh, they're good brownies. Oh, it's chocolatey. Oh. <laughs> You're never supposed to laugh at your own jokes, but that's just funny. <laughs> chocolatey. So I have a brownie, and uh, these are really good. These are good brownies. Like these, these are brownies fit for a billionaire, man. And uh, so we're sitting there talking about it, and I keep kind of eyeing the, the, the plate. There's still like two brownies left, and I'm like, these are really good. And I've been sitting here for three hours. I'm really hungry, <laughs> contributing to the, to the booking meeting. And finally, uh, I look, and I, I kind of have my hand on the table, and I catch Vince's eye, and he's looking too. And it's like, kind of like this bonding moment of like, doot, doot. And he's like, oh, come on. Two gentlemen deserve another brownie, don't they? So yes, Vince, we do. Ah, brownies for everyone. Yay. <laughs> and then the bookie made ends. He's like, oh, Chris, come with me. So we go into like, and once again, I've been there once in my life. And this was, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, whatever it was, 50 years ago. And I don't really remember, but I remember. So Vince's house might not even look a thing like this, but to me it does. We walked through the kitchen area and then there was like a couple steps down into like this like sunken uh, living room. And we go in there and right on the wall behind him is this giant oil painting of Vincent K. McMahon. So we're talking, you know, big, you know, typical three-piece suit with the collar to here, typical Vince, like the colors don't match. It's like a salmon-colored jacket and like a violet-colored shirt. And uh, so he's like, well, Chris, I, you know, uh, so, so, so what are your plans? And he's not really saying anything. And I realize now because he couldn't because it's probably considered tampering considering I was under contract to Ted Turner at the time. He's like, what's your, what's your plans? And then now I'm like so nervous. Like, I, you know, Vince McMahon, this guy. But he's, just, you know, he's a big guy, too. He's tall, and he's got the shoulders, and he's got that voice, and he's just got this presence of, like, this aura. Like, oh, my gosh. He's, like, you know, the king, the god of wrestling, and I'm, like, a nobody. But I was like, well, Vince, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm in WCW, and I just think I could do really good. I just think I could be like The Rock. Like, people didn't like The Rock when he first came in, but I could do this, and I've got a lot to offer, but I'm not getting a chance, and I've been in Japan, and I can do this, and, and I can do it. And he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, uh-huh. Yes. And I was like, you know, maybe, maybe when, when, when I'm finished in WCW, I, I would just love to come work for you because I just know that you would understand what I can do and you would know what, what I could be and I just really want to just come and, come and be a, a WWE superstar. And he goes, that's an option. And I was like, where is he going to like, is he supposed to be showering me with gold? And I like, said, we brought you here because you're the next big thing. But he never said anything. He just kind of sat there and I realized as I was talking, have you ever realized, like, you know, you heard the saying, if you, you know, you hang yourself with your own rope. I was hanging like a mofo, man. Like just, so um, finally, I end the conversation or just the one-sided babbling on my end. And he's like, well, thank you for coming, Chris. And I just want to say we really, uh, we really enjoy your work. And it's great to, great to meet you face to face, pal. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Vince. And it's like, that's it? So I go out the front door, and the limousine driver's waiting for Mr. Smithson. And I get in, and I drive away, and that was it. I never heard anything about it again for, like, weeks. And I called Russo, and it's like, you know, Vince loves you, and he wants to bring you in. But, like, he couldn't say anything because he couldn't be charged with tampering. But in the back of my head, it was like, you know, I've been to Vince's. I've seen this. And I asked Vince a couple of years ago, why did you bring me to your house? Like, why? He said, I was trying to impress you. <laughs> and I was testing you. And I, what do you mean testing? He said, because I wanted to see what you would say. I wanted to see if you would run back to Bischoff and tell him what we were doing. Because I would know I have spies everywhere, you know. <laughs> and I didn't say anything to anybody. Like, nothing. I was so scared, I didn't say a word. And I guess he realized that he could trust me, and that was my test. And he, he definitely impressed me. 
Um, so when it came time for me to leave WCW, I knew that I wanted to leave. And Bischoff at the time was not cool. I mean, a lot of guys in WCW weren't, weren't really cool at the time. It was a really strange, uh, kind of messed up area. And there's a lot of arrogance and a lot of like, this is going to last forever. And then things kind of started falling apart. Um, things that didn't make sense. I remember I got a, a FedEx one time uh, with nothing in it from WCW. Another time I got a royalty check for zero dollars and zero cents. Stamp cost 35 cents. So I kind of knew it was time to get out of there. Uh, and finally, right, and I kind of already made the, uh, the handshake kind of secret deal with Vince because the day Wayne Gretzky re- retired from, from hockey, Wayne Gretzky's a famous hockey player. You might have heard of hockey here in, in England. And uh, I was like, you know, I had on my answer machine, I used to leave a, like a different message every week. And I'd be like, you know, hey, I'm really sad uh, today because Gretzky retired. I'm not talking to anybody unless this is Wayne Gretzky. And if it's Wayne, leave a message at the beep. Chris, I'm not Wayne Gretzky. This is Vince. If you pull out of your depression, please call me. You like Wayne Gretzky, huh? Canadian, of course, man. Oh, oh, oh Canadians, ha, oh, Canadians. Um, so uh, <laughs> he would always call me Canadian cool. Like, look at you with your scarf and your vest. What is that, Canadian cool? I'm like, you're the one wearing Bermuda shorts and a plaid open shirt, man, and a pompadour in 2010. So finally, I'd always like, you know, we just want to let you know when your contract is done. We'd be happy to have you. I want to have you uh, negotiate with Jim Ross. He said, no matter what happens, if you are interested in possibly doing this, don't cause any problems on your way to WCW. Do whatever they tell you to do. Trust me, there's nothing they can do to hurt you. And I was thinking, like, wow, like, like what are they, what are they going to do? Like, make me lose to everybody or take away my music or make me a jobber or whatever it is. And I learned from WCW that no matter what you do or wherever, if you get one minute of time uh, on TV, you make it work and make it good. So I was ready. I was like, if they pull my music, I'll just come to the ring with my own little portable speaker. You know, if they make me lose all the time, I'll just like, you know, I'll leave the ring and just walk away or I'll do whatever I'm told. Just make it the best, you know, whatever, whatever it was. Because Vince had told me no matter what they get you to do, just do it. And Bischoff was trying to resign me at the time. And when I wouldn't sign the contract, he just suspended me for four months with pay. <laughs> I was thinking that he was going to like, do a hatchet job at a burial and Chris Jericho's a, a, a pedophile or something. Not... He suspended me with pay, and boy, did he teach me a lesson. Wow. <laughs> so that was basically how I left WCW. And, and just to finish this up, and I don't even know if I answered your question, but it doesn't matter. It was a damn good story either way. <laughs> my first night in before I, I made my debut against The Rock in Chicago, which you saw a little bit of there, I, I came in a day earlier for, in Detroit for, uh, it was called Sunday Night Heat at the time. And Vince, come on, pal, sit with me at gorilla position. Like, like I said, like, whatever, he was laying it on thick to impress me. And I was sitting at the gorilla position, and the main event of Heat that night was Big Boss Man uh, against this guy called Meat. His name was Meat. And Meat's gimmick was that he was a stud, and he actually had uh, Calvin Klein underwear-looking tights that he wore to the ring. He actually had a waistband, like, like if you were wearing your underwear in the ring. And he had uh, Terry Runnels and this girl Jackie, and they were called the Pretty Mean Sisters, initials PMS. That's exactly what they were called, PMS. So he had, uh, Meat had made PMS mad, so PMS spiked Meat's water with a Viagra. 
So Meat drank the Viagra spiked water, and then right before his match with Big Boss Man, he had a huge heart on, which they stimulated by putting a dildo down the front of his underwear tights. This is real on TV. I'm watching this for the first time in WWE. Like, the finish was Big Boss Man hitting Meat's boner with his nightstick. <laughs> down he went, covered him one, two, three. And I was thinking, what the hell am I getting myself into? And that was my first night in WWE. Let's take another one from around this. Uh, this are you, you gentlemen, hand was up quickly. Yes, sir. His question was, hey, Chris, why are you so cool and sexy? <laughs> the question was about winning the title on Raw in 2000. Oh, I thought that was his question. Sorry, I couldn't understand his accent. <laughs> winning the title in 2000 on Raw and not keeping it. I assume that's the, the one with Triple H, was it? Yeah. Was the story with it? Well, um, man, that was a, you guys are asking some good questions. Funny story. Uh, I was working in the WWE once again after I saw Meat get hit with a uh, boss man's <laughs> nightstick. Uh, I, I worked, I did the thing with Rock, but then right when I got there, this kind of continues you said, there was kind of a real target on my back because back in the days of the Monday Night Wars, there was a real war, and I came in from WCW by myself. I had no friends. All my friends were still in WCW. I was kind of like this uncharted waters guy. The only guy who'd come in before that was Big Show, who's a giant, so that's another you know, world. But for me, right off the bat, I had massive heat on me because I was from WCW, and I didn't know the WWE style, which there's a real style for it. And, and I remember the, one of the first nights I got in there, I'd had a match with China, and she got a black eye, and Vince called me into his office. It was Vince and JR and, and Jack Lanza, and Vince was like, you know, you're the drizzling sh classic wrestling term so um uh, you're not worth the paper that your contract is printed on your green is grass and we've been sold a bill of goods and you're, you're just terrible and so right off the bat it was like nothing i could do was right and the worst thing you could not have in any job is is no confidence uh, if you have confidence you can do anything you know uh, i could have a match with tony skiavone over here right now and have, the, have a great match but at that time i didn't know what left is right wrong is right up is down black is white those all rhymed by the way that'd be good song lyrics um, so I, I just, I didn't know what to do and it was just really bad. And slowly I kind of started working myself up the ranks by having good matches, but I was still losing to everybody, to D'Lo Brown, to Gangrel, to Godfather, to China, to, you know, uh, Bear, uh, what's his name? Barry Buchanan. I don't remember what his name was there. Bull Buchanan. Just any single person just lose, 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 lose. And I was like, I, I worked with Viscera one week. And we had a really good match, but I lost, and I was like, this is it. Like, I, I'm done. Like, i got to get out of here, or i got to tell Vince this sucks. So then the next week, I show up at State College, Pennsylvania, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm mad. Definitely a non, not an effeminate walk this time. I'm walking macho. And as I'm walking to Vince's office, I see uh, one of the writers at the time. His name was Tommy, who actually created uh, Metalopolis. Metal, metal, Metal Apocalypse. You guys probably know this. It's a very, very famous cartoon in the States. So uh, if I could pronounce it, you might know what I'm talking about. It's called The Simpsons. <laughs> so uh, I'm walking. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm so angry. I'm going to tell Vince he's not going to use his Jedi mind trick. And then Tommy's like, hey, man, let me tell you what you're doing. And I'm like, Tommy, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. He's like, no, you're going to want to hear this. He's like, no, I'm not. There's nothing you can say that's going to make me stop going in to talk to Vince. I'm fed up. There's nothing you can do. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. You're winning the world championship tonight. That stopped me. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you're going to win the world title. Well, do tell, Tommy. 
And he explained the storyline of what we're going to do. And if I had not seen Tommy just randomly sitting there, I would have walked in there and told, Vince, this is the war. I'm going to quit. And he probably would have just sat there and let myself hang myself with my own rope again. But the, yeah, the storyline was that uh, they wanted to do something to shake it up. And once again, there's a lot of tests when you're in the WWE. And that's something I always was trying to explain to people about Daniel Bryan. We're like, he needs to win. He needs to win. He's so popular. He's so over. It's not that easy. It takes a while, a little bit of a, of a ride and a little bit of a climb to see how do people react in certain situations in front of the camera, behind. There's a lot of twists and turns that you have to go through to get to the top level in the WWE. And anybody who is ever a real world champion, legendary guy will tell you that. So um, the idea would be that uh, I, I would do this thing with Triple H and Stephanie. I had started this angle with Stephanie, where I call her the, the filthy, dirty, disgusting, bottom-feeding trash bag hoe. Um, I feel like I haven't said that in a while. I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> Filthy, dirty, disgusting, bottom-feeding, trash-bag whore. Although he wouldn't let me say whore. I had to say ho. That was a different one time I said I was going to tell Stephanie. Uh, I said, have Triple H say like I was insulting her. And, and I would say to Stephanie, uh, she was, Triple H would say, don't, don't insult my wife that way. She's a precious flower. And I would say, flower? Stephanie lost her flower a long time ago. And when I explained that to Vince, he's like, okay, just make sure you pause so the crowd can react afterwards accordingly. <laughs> if you're going to call Vince's daughter a slut, just make sure you get a crowd reaction and give them time. And so that so it started off the thing, and then I would gonna you know I would have this match with Triple H, and I would hit him with uh, with the lion salt and get a quick fast count one two three because Earl Hebner the referee and Triple H were having a problem, and then you know go to break and come back and I would get stripped of the title. So um, I was I just couldn't believe it like wow this is so great and I I, I just can't believe this is my chance. But I was like why would I give up the title like why would I do that? So I went to talk to Vince and he's like it's part of the story. And he said it doesn't matter. You're going to end up having the title again sometime. And I was like wow really? <laughs> so we had the match and and the thing about it that I remember was the crowd was absolutely crazy. Things have kind of changed where people have seen so much now. It's a little bit, they're kind of uh, used to it, and they've, it's, things have changed over the last 10 years. If you go back and watch that on YouTube, watch how the crowd just goes ballistic when I beat uh, Triple H. And I'm not exaggerating, this isn't like wrestling. I, ta I caught a fish 20 feet long. This is actually like real legitimate, like people just went nuts for it because they were waiting for somebody new to come in, and when I beat him for that title, they just went insane. Now, even though I had to give the title back, that was the test. How does the crowd react? How are they uh, feeling when Chris wins? If it was a mediocre response, could have been the end of me in WWE. But because it was the exact opposite, probably more than they expected, that's when the, the powers that be know that this guy can do something here. And I remember I came back through the curtain, and I looked at myself. There's a full-length mirror that you, that you can you put baby oil on and fix your hair. And I put the title on. I just looked at it. And I was like, you know what? If the world ends now from an alien invasion, and they blow up the universe... I'll be the last WWE world champion. <laughs> and I can live with that. And then I went out there and, you know, you're stripped of the title and I had to give the title back. And then people forget that later on that night there was a six-man uh, six match and I actually got pinned by Triple H. So by the end of the night I was just getting pinned again. But it didn't matter because the test had been passed and they knew that they could do something with me at that point. Uh, did you think that uh, Shane would automatically take over from Vince one day? I don't know, man. I never really thought about sort of that. It's my Welsh accent for you. I've been talking a lot tonight. I'm a lot of few stumbles.
Um, I never thought about that stuff because, you know, at the time I was just trying to do the best I could with my own stuff. And I think one of the reasons why I've, I've lasted as long as I have and all the stuff that I've done is that I care about what I'm doing, make what I'm doing the best it could possibly be, and kind of don't worry about anything else. I do always remember thinking that Shane was a lot like Linda, uh, Vince's wife, very friendly and outgoing and happy and nice, whereas Stephanie was always kind of more like Vince, more reserved, a little bit more of a wall in front of her, a little bit more intimidating. Shane was always one of the guys, like, hey, how are you? Whereas uh, um, uh, Stephanie was always kind of more... You know, like I said, you didn't really know what to say. Even when I was working with her, she was really cool, but still, there was always a little bit of an edge to her. So in that case, I can understand why, why Stephanie was kind of more in line to it. Um, I remember we went, to, uh, we went to Thailand and, not Thailand, we went to Japan, um, Malaysia, and Singapore back in 2001, right after I won uh, the Undisputed Championship by beating the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin the same night. And for that tour, the main event every night was, was The Rock versus Chris Jericho for the championship. And it was the only time Rock had ever gone to any of those countries. And obviously, he was a super huge worldwide star. But that's when he was already starting to pull away to do movies. And he was going to do this one of these tours as one of his last tours. So we would go. Um, and I remember we got to Japan. Now, obviously, I cut my teeth in Japan. I worked there so many times for so many years. And I knew how it was. Like, Japan is the real deal. Like, people take wrestling seriously, very much respected. Uh, the athletes are revered and almost a little bit, uh, the people are scared of them a bit because they really believe in what's going on. That's why wrestling has been so uh, successful there. And I remember Ric Flair came up to me before the first match in Yokohama Arena and said, you know what, like, this is the real deal. Like, to be the WWE World Champion in Japan, it's, it's, a, it's a real big deal. It's an honor, and you know that. So go out there and make it count and, and, and you know, you deserve this and this is your chance, this is your time. And, you know, having Flair, one of the greatest of all time, tell me that was a really cool thing. And um, it was funny. We used to go and do the 20-minute match, great match, and this back and forth, and people going crazy and going nuts. But then after the match, we would do, Rock and I, another 20 minutes of, like, improv comedy. Because that's the way it used to be back then. After the show was done, the two guys in the last match would go out there and just – you know, screw around, but do it in a very entertaining way that people would love it. And Rock loved doing it. And I remember after the first time we did it, Pat Powders was like, why did you do the improvs? You screwed up everything. You have these great matches, and then you go and do the stupid joke, and no, it's stupid. And Rock was like, you know, how many times, Pat, how many times am I going to be in Tokyo? This is the last time I might ever be here for wrestling. Worst Rock imitation. So um, we were doing like this back and forth banter, and, 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 and this is when Rock was doing the thing about pie. You know, Rock wants some pie. So I was in the ring, and, of course, people are booing Jericho. And Rock had just lost, but he's like, oh, Jericho, come here. And we're going to have a conversation. And he was saying uh, about how the Rock likes pie. You know, and everybody here in Japan loves pie. All the guys love pie. What do you think about pie, Jericho? And I would say, I hate pie. I would never touch pie with a 10-foot pole. I don't like pie. Pie's stinky. Pie's dirty. I would never eat pie ever. And Rock would be like, what, do you like strudel? <laughs> Why, yes, Rock, I love the taste of strudel. The sugary cream of the strudel. The length of the long strudel. The way it feels lying and sitting in my hand when it's warm. I love strudel. 
And of course, the Japanese people, they're kind of following along, but they're more just kind of like, you know, Rock could have said, do you like bananas? And people would have went, ah, because Rock said something. So finally, Rock's sitting there, we're talking about the strudel, and I said to him, Rock, call me Okama. He's like, strudel. What? Call me Okama. Jericho likes strudel. What did you say? Just say Okama. Now, Okama in Japanese means gay. So Rock goes, well, you, don't, you like strudel? What are you? Okama? Now, you have to understand this is pure trust. Rock didn't know if I was telling him to say, you know, you know, the airplane or bouncy ball or, you know, stupid dummy idiot I am. It sounds like Yoda. But um, so he says, you're Okama, and suddenly people go nuts. Okama, 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 Okama. And the next day on the cover of Tokyo Sports, you got to understand, I was the terror of the, the, the Chris Jericho, the Lionheart. I had terrorized Japanese wrestling for years, and people were scared of me. And I used to fight fans and multiple-time champion, and I destroyed all my credibility in one word because on the front page of Tokyo Sports it says, Rock calls Jericho Okama. That was big news back in those days. So then, so part of the, the fun about doing this is like what Flair told me, you have to act like a champion and be a champion. So back in, in the old days, you would go have a five-star match, and then you would go out for a five-star night of drinking. Then you would get to sleep, and you'd go do it all over again. It was just a nonstop uh, wheel. So me and Bubba Dudley and Hurricane and Shane McMahon, going back to the Shane story, would go out every night, and we would drink in all these different places. Now, I had been taught this trick by Kurt Henning about how you challenge people to a Jack Daniels gargling contest. Now, if you've ever gargled Jack Daniels, it messes you up because you gargle it, and I don't know what happens, the, the chemical reaction. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but the, uh, it would get really bad, and then when you swallow it, it really hits you. No flash photography. Hits you really hard. That's what he said. <laughs> At least if you're going to do it, let me, let me get ready. <laughs> Okama, remember? So Jack Daniels gargling contest. Now Shane is a lot like his dad as far as bravado. It's like, you know, Shane, let's have a, a Jack Daniels gargling contest. He's like, what? Oh, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so he gets to Jack Daniels and he, he drinks it. And and we, we time it, 10, 9, 18 seconds, Shane. He's like, all right, 18 seconds. Beat that. <laughs> so the trick that Kurt Henning told me was you take the shot of the Jack Daniels. Wait, I have to finish. I just need that as a drink. That wasn't Jack Daniels. That was water. So um, if I'm standing here, okay, and Shane is here, okay, so what you do is you take the sip of the Jack Daniels and then you let it drain out of the side of your mouth. So you kind of do this sort of thing. <laughs> but if you're standing here, you wouldn't see that, right? So I did that and let all the Jack Daniels come out and it's going to go 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds. And then I jump, oh, oh, oh. And Shane's like, oh, 50 seconds. <laughs> Give me some more. He drank it. 61 seconds. 61 seconds. My turn again. I'll get wet for you guys. What the hell? Sunday night. (laughs) 
75 seconds to go back and forth. And finally, Shane is destroyed. And I have like the, the, the Kurt Hanning trick was like, and you're just completely fine. And Shane ended up falling into a potted plant. And me and Bubba had to kind of put him around our, our shoulders and, and carry him out. And he's like, did I win? Did I? Yeah, you won, Shane. You won the garlic contest. Over there, yeah. Uh, were you supposed to win the Rumble that Seamus won? And if so, why didn't you? I always love questions like that because people like, you know, you know, why'd you put over Fandango at WrestleMania? Why didn't you win the Royal Rumble with Seamus? Because the boss told me not to. <laughs> That's exactly the reason why. You know, I don't ask questions like that because, you know, I, we had the Royal Rumble match in, in 2012. I had just come back with the big uh, end of the world as we know it promos. The jacket, lighted jacket that actually worked back then. Uh, I'm going to have to take that to an electrician when I get home, by the way. And so the thing was is that I didn't say anything for weeks. I would just come to the ring and be like, and people would be like, oh. And the reason why we did that is because when I came back, people were so excited to see Jericho again. The idea was for me to be a heel. And we were trying to think, like, what could you do to make people boo you? And the best thing I could do was give them, you always give the people what they want. If you don't, they get mad. And I just thought if I don't say anything, that takes that away, and people will get mad because they want to hear Jericho talk. Why? I have no idea, as you guys know, after sitting here for two hours. And then Vince said, well, just don't say anything at all for the next three or four weeks until we get to the Royal Rumble. Then I go in the Royal Rumble, and I was in the final two with Sheamus, and then Sheamus eliminated me. So a lot of people were like, well, why didn't you win? You should have won. You said, why, why did that happen? I don't know. It's because Vince didn't want me to. He wanted Sheamus to win. And I always look at it. If I'm in like in a Steven Spielberg movie, you know, Saving Private Ryan Part 2, and uh, I have a part where I, you know, die on the uh, shores of Normandy by getting blown up by a landmine. I go, hey, Steve, come here. You know this uh, script here? You know, um, I personally have no problem, but my character would never get blown up by a landmine. <laughs> so we need to change that. Spielberg would go, okay. Hugh Jackman, come on, here we go. Because I'm at that level. So it's, and that's exactly, I mean, obviously there's certain times when you ask certain questions and stuff like that, but I learned a long time ago, you know, pick the, the mountain that you die on in the WWE and win or losing the Royal Rumble was not going to affect uh, the, the championship angle or match that I had with CM Punk for WrestleMania 28 in Miami with the left side of my hand, Kurt Angle. <laughs> that's part of being a professional, you know what I mean? That's what gives you longevity, too. And at this point in time, winning, losing, I really could care less. It's all about the performance that you have. I mean, obviously, sometimes you have to win, but it's more about the performance that you have, the reactions that you get, the connections that you have with the crowd. That's, that's, that's really what show business is all about, and that's what wrestling is, is show business. It's not real, guys. Because if it was, I would have died a long time ago. <laughs> was there a TV or film role that you were really gutted that you didn't get? Um. It's actually pretty funny. I actually I went to um, Hollywood to study acting. I worked with this crazy cool acting coach that was actually in the Reservoir Dogs, the uh, the policeman that got his ear chopped off, Marvin Nash. His name was Kurt Baltz. Actually, had an action figure of uh, of Marvin Nash with removable ear. <laughs> I wish I had that. Mick Foley should have that action figure too, shouldn't he? And uh, then I started working with the Groundlings, which was an improv comedy troupe, very famous. Uh, Kristen Wiig is a Groundling, uh, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Phil Hartman, Will, Will Ferrell. And that kind of helped me kind of hone my acting skills and that sort of thing as well. And I went to do the auditions, the, the, which is a really funny thing because 
Um, I have a web series called But I'm Chris Jericho. I don't know if you guys have seen it. If not, you should watch it. You'll laugh. It's funny. And it's all based on when I went to L.A. and went out there, and I would go into an audition for, you know, three lines of CSI, you know, Lester, and uh, the line would be, these pretzels are making me thirsty. And I'd walk in into a room with like 25 other guys that look exactly like me. And then I'd go in for the audition. It's like, okay, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Thank you. Bye. And he's like, what? like, was it good? Like, what? what? And I realized that people didn't care that I was Chris Jericho and that I had some notoriety in another world. In that world, it didn't really mean anything. So I kind of wrote that, but I'm Chris Jericho, based on that and the fact that I never really got any auditions, uh, any parts. The, the most uh, highly... Let me see how you, how you phrase this. The guy with the highest box office total of all time is Samuel Jackson. I think all the movies he's been in, bit parts, big parts, is like something like you know $50 billion in box office. I'm the reverse Samuel Jackson. I've got like minus $400 million in box office of movies that I didn't get the parts to. And that's true. I actually added it up. I went and looked on Box Office Mojo and found how much all these box offices were. So I didn't get anything. And... Um, it was funny because I would just like it just turned into like this real comedy type of a thing. I, I went to on audition one time, and it was for this real serious. There's a, a network in the states called Lifetime. It's real emotional. Like you know, Valerie Bertinelli would be uh, one of the people on these shows. Like somebody like really kind of a, a an actress that your mom would like. And and so it was, the, the movie was like you know. Katie's aunt is dying of cancer or something like that was actually what it was called something along those lines and I went into this audition and I stood in the back of the line of this line of people they're all like just lascivious looking guys and just seedy like biker type guys and long hair and like just kind of fat and and, and you know just it was just like, like how, what, how are these guys trying out for this lifetime movie you know Katie's aunt has cancer they're not going to get it so I'm waiting in line it's like super long finally the guy comes down with a clipboard and he's like okay uh who are you here to see? I'm like, I'm here to see Katie's aunt has cancer. He's like, oh, you're in the wrong line. This is the lineup for the pirate movie. So I was like, okay. So I go up to the audition room, and I go to start reading my lines for, uh, for, for, for Katie's aunt has cancer. And meanwhile, next door, they're having the auditions for the pirate movie, and it's like a really thin wall. So I'm kind of like, okay, uh, let's see your lines. Uh, I have to tell you this, Katie. Your aunt is dying of cancer, and you're never going to see her again. And you're right next to her, you hear this, Arr! Garr! And, and even though she loves you so much, and she wants to know she'll always be able to swab the decks, matey! Shoot the bar, the poop deck! And, and she just wants to know that she'll always love you. Arr! I'm like, does nobody else hear this? Like, do you not hear what's going on right here? And the cast and director like, oh, that's not in the script. But there's, you can hear this next door. There's, there's pirates are here next door. Can't you hear this? Well, just ignore it. I mean, how can I ignore those pirates? So, Katie, I just want you to know that your aunt is dying of cancer. The phone rings. She picks it up. During my audition, the casting director answers the phone during my audition. Needless to say, I did not get the part. So um, I guess you guys didn't understand that one. Hello? So anyways, um, there wasn't any uh, 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 movies that I, I was gutted that I didn't get because I didn't get anything and I wanted to get some of them. So I just went and made my own uh, with But I'm Chris Jericho. Okay. Yeah, you, sir. Uh, so I like how so a couple of people... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, Rob. I wanted you to talk about Dancing with the Stars and in particular the dance you dedicated to your mom. 
Um, it's funny because when he said dance the stars, some people laughed like, <laughs> you guys related to Vince? <laughs> Dancing with the stars. That's so gay. Um, but they asked me to do that show three times. I think it's called So You Think You Can Dance here. What is, is there some show that's similar to that? In, Strictly, in, come, Strictly Come Dance. Strictly, that's right. Yeah, the, the guy Len Goodman is, is from here, obviously. And they asked me to do it like a couple times. And I just was like, I don't know, dancing like <laughs> Dancing like you guys. But then they asked me again, and I called Stacy Keebler, who had done it. She's like, you got to do this. It's going to be one of the greatest experiences of your career. So um, they asked me a third time to do it, and I thought, if I don't do it now, I'll never get the chance, and, and maybe, maybe I'll really you know, like it, maybe. So the thing about that show and dancing is it is hard, man. Like I never – I expected it to be hard, but not that hard. Like it was, it was harder than training for wrestling school because you do the same thing over and over again repeat 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 and it's like it's really difficult and frustrating because everybody's at the same level you could be like a, a grammy award winner or an oscar winner or a six-time world champion but when you get into this room you're just a, a total rookie and it is kind of frustrating you have to leave your your ego at the door but one of the reasons why i was able to pick it up is because obviously with wrestling you have to be light on your feet you have to uh know choreography uh working with a live crowd and from being a singer in, in fozzy you got you know, the, the staying on the beat and the syncopations of the rhythm and also working the crowd so i was able to pick it up fairly quickly and even though it was really really hard to do I mean, the first dance I ever did ever was uh, was in front of 25 million people. It was the cha-cha to the class, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> you know, Joe Strummer was rolling in his grave at that one. <laughs> but when I was finally finished and done, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, like, you know, the, the judges were like, oh, you did okay. You get a six and you get a seven and a seven. And they didn't say, like, you're the Red Reels callback. So um, I actually got into it. And it was, but the thing is, you have to rehearse, like, every day, six hours a day, seven hours a day. Not easy, and that's why I would like afterwards. It's like anybody that ever laughs about dancing, try it for an hour and see how uh, how funny you think it is. You'll be flipping out, and you'll be so sore. And, and it, it, the bottom line was, when I was done, I called Stacy and said, "Yeah, that really was one of the funnest things I've ever done." And people have said, "Do you ever go dancing? Like, you guys ever go to ballroom dancing?" I know seven dances three years ago with Cheryl Burke, my partner. Other than that, I don't know anything about dancing. Still don't. And like, did you watch Dancing with the Stars this year? It's like, no, I've never watched it before. I never watched it since, and I'll never watch it again. But at the time, it was fun. Okay, uh, well, that's in the red shirt there. Yeah. Uh, is there a wrestling moment that's involved other people that you'd like to insert yourself into? Um, like I said, I'm, I'm happy pretty much with, with, with me. I don't ever think about stuff like that. Um, you know, just the experiences that I've had and the things that I've done. And it's more like the people I respect. Like, I, I guess, if anything, I wish I could have worked with The Undertaker more. We, we only worked a few times, but both times they were just really, really amazing matches. And, I mean, I always called him the Fonz of the WWE, like the coolest guy, you know, and uh, definitely like the locker room leader. Uh, I remember one time we had an elim Elimination Chamber match. It was um, uh, Elimination Chamber is like it's a cage and there's six pods and, you, and you, you sit in your pod and wait until the door opens and then you come out to, to the ring. And... We were all waiting, and Undertaker's entrance was, was coming up. And as he walked out to the ring, like this, let me tell you this. As, as a performer, when you hear that Undertaker bell go off, that is, as cool as it is as a fan to see it, when you're in the ring knowing that he's coming out to, 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 to beat your ass, it's very intimidating. Gong! 
gong, and then the lights go out, and uh, he comes walking out, you know, kind of like that undead Terminator type thing, and he's got the hat on. So he's coming out to the ring, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my pod, and I'm seeing, I can see, I've got a bird's eye view of the stage, and he has pyro going off, and as he walks down the stage, pyro goes off in his face. Bah. He goes over here, pyro goes off over here. He goes over here, and a third time, pyro goes off again. Three times, he got caught in the pyro. I don't know why, I'm not sure, but he started basically running, and his, his long jacket had melted, like if you light a plastic cup on fire, just like this, and he was just it was completely melted up to about here. And he came in the ring, and you could see him kind of stalking the the pod because he was the last one to come out 20 minutes and he was burned like he was he was he was pouring water over his head and you could see like it was bad it was like james hetfield getting caught in that in the fire back in 91 like you'd see like this is not good so finally um he comes in the ring and, and, and it's only me and him in there and you know he got a, a feed for him and he's you know he's punching me and stuff like, so i don't really know how he's doing and at one point i knocked him down and i cover him you could see like where his singlet was here, this was all pitch red, and the skin was bubbling. Like it was third-degree burns. And I was like, this is the toughest dude ever. You know, like if there's a, a tough guy, Hall of Fame, he needs to be in it. So I was like, are you, like, should we continue? He's like, just keep going, just keep going, just go, 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 go. So, um, and then I put him into the walls of Jericho, which is, of course, on his chest, and that he was in that and crawling to the ropes. You could just, like, you just, you could just tell, like, you could even smell, like his hair was, you know, when you have... Uh, Hair that lights on fire, you could just smell that that that's the acrid smell, the acrid smell of horse's breath and um so so I just feel bad, and finally um he came out uh, Shawn Michaels came out from under the ring and super kicked him, and I pinned him and became the, the world champion for the sixth time because I'm super cool. <laughs> Telling the story about the undertaker almost dying, and I'm begging for applause. That's the type of guy I am. So he walked uh, to the back, and by the time I finished the brouhaha and the, and the kerfuffle and the celebration, I go into the trainer's room, and Vince is already in there talking to, to Taker. And like I said, I don't know why the flames went off, but it was obviously the pyro guy's fault. And uh, I remember I walked in. You could tell they're in the middle of a deep conversation, and Taker was like, Vince, I don't want an explanation. I don't want an apology. I don't ever want to see him again, because if I do, I'm going to kill him. And you knew he was serious. And we never saw Ron the Pyro guy again, by the way. He was escorted from the building. And the only reason why he didn't, uh, he, was, he was burned, third degree burns. He had to uh, be in the hospital for a few days. He had to be off the road for a few months. And the only reason why he didn't get worse is because he had the long jacket, which got burned, like I said, from here to here. And he had his long hair at the time, and it was completely wet. And if it hadn't have been wet, it would have been really dangerous. And the thing about him, like I said, he's super tough and, and super crazy. But for some reason, one night in Tokyo, I spent three hours trying to get him to kiss me on the lips when we were drunk. <laughs> he didn't, but he let me kiss him on the cheek. Okay, uh, I think we've got time for a couple more. Let's have a look at you, sir, there in the white. Yep. What was the backstage reaction when you knocked out Shawn Michaels' wife? Oh, sh <laughs> Yeah, man, it was just, uh, it, we were doing this kind of like this real crazy blood feud that organically grew to being one of the, um, the best angles I've ever done, and in my opinion, one of the best angles in the WWE history. It was like a seven-month... Um, yeah, yeah. 
And, and we just came up with this idea that, uh, well, I mean, Sean was going to retire at SummerSlam and he was going to bring his family into the ring and they were all going to announce together that they were, you know, that they were going to, he was going to talk to my wife or my doctor and I can't continue because I'd beat him up so bad and he has to retire and then I was going to come in the ring and interrupt him and make everybody tell, like, tell, tell Sean, tell everybody, Sean, that I'm the reason why you retired and he's like, no, you're a piece of crap and so finally I was going to go to punch him and he was going to move out of the way and I was going to hit his wife. Now, she's not a worker, but, you know, uh, when Sean moved and as I moved in, she took a slight step in and I took a slight step in. And when I punched her, it was like literally like, like you felt that. Like I felt like a, like a, like a grape, like punching a grape, like the splitting like type of a thing. And um, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, like, what do you do, right? And I remember Vince told me before, like, don't celebrate when you punch her. Just, like, sit there like, oh, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. And that's basically what I was doing for real. And then, of course, Sean goes there, and there's blood coming. Like, I don't know. Did I break her nose? Did I, did I knock out her teeth? And it's just, it's just a horrible feeling, even worse knowing that I'm going to have to go backstage, and Sean is going to be there. And, like, I, like what do I, if he wants to punch me, I'll let him punch me. If he wants to kick me in the plums, we'll let him kick me in the plums. Like, I, I don't know what he wants to do here. So I go to the back, and he's just, like, weeping. And he's like, oh, I never should let this happen. And I never should have let this happen. And why did this happen? And I'm like, I'm sorry. And he's like, ah, this never should have happened. This, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't want to do it either. And, uh, and she sat up, and she's like, Jer-. she's, I'm like, she's like, is that all you got, Jericho? And the cool thing about that was is that um, uh, in, in retrospect, that we, when we found out she was okay, it ended up being such a great angle because everybody could empathize with it. Like, you know, like, listen, we know this wrestling thing is show business, but if someone ever punched my wife, my husband, my kid, my Aunt Esther, whatever it would be, you knew, you, like, I, I don't care if this stuff isn't real or not, I'm going to kill this guy. And from that point forward, the angle just catapulted to a different level to where like I said it just it just worked so well because of that at the time I just wanted to disappear into a hole but once we found out she was okay it ended up being one of the best things that could have happened all right let's get one from this section here this is probably going to be the last one so uh, yeah uh, gentlemen there yeah well, you pitched any other ideas rather than Fandango at that WrestleMania well the idea when I came back was I was supposed to work with Ryback and then um about, I guess it was about four weeks before WrestleMania, I, I started hearing rumors that Ryback was working with Mark Henry. So I was wondering, like, well, what am I doing then? So I kept texting Vince, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And he kept texting me, like, jokes back, like, we well, do what you always do. You're going to be looking at the lights. <laughs> and I was like, okay, the fact that you're texting me bad jokes tell me, tells me that you think I'm going to hate this idea. And so once again, he goes into Vince, um, you know, Jedi mind. Well, we got this. Uh, we're doing this thing now. We got the, all these young guys coming. Where Big E, Big E's going to be in the show, first time ever. The Shield is going to be on the show, WrestleMania for the first time ever. We've got Cesaro, first time ever in WrestleMania, and I got this kid called Fandango. And I was like, Don't even say it, man. Don't even say it. He's like, No, no, it's going to be great. And you know, you did Dancing with the Stars, and it's going to be I'm like, What does that have to do with anything? This is terrible. It's, 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 I said it's a one 
trick pony gimmick. Like, okay, a guy comes out, he's a dancer, I get it. I know where you got the idea from. But it's like, how far can this last for? I was like, this is terrible. And I was like, can I work Wade Barrett for the Intercontinental Champ? Oh, nobody's going to care about that. Well, can I work about with Ryback? Oh, Ryback, no one's going to care about that. Uh, can I work with Funaki? Well, that's a good idea, but no, we're going to stick with... We're going to stick with Fandango, and this is what we're going to do. And I said, so you've made up your mind. He said, yes, I have. So I just hung up on him. I was so mad. Like, I remember telling a couple of people, like, I got to work with Fandango. Like, what? <laughs> and I was just like, and actually, I called Undertaker, and I, I told him about it. He goes, listen, man. He goes, there's nothing you can do about it. It's Vince's new, new guy, new shiny, new toy, and he believes in it. You got to roll with it, man. He goes, you know, I worked with Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania, and I worked with, you know, King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania. That's the thing. People think about the Undertaker streak. It wasn't all five-star matches. There was mostly stinkers until about the last five or six years. So I said, you're right, Fonz. Uh, you know, I, I believe what you're saying. So then my goal at that point in time was, okay, how can I take this guy that nobody knows with kind of a real marginal gimmick and make him mean something. And I've only got three or four weeks, so I, I kind of came up with this game plan where I said, well, okay, maybe if I can, I need people to start knowing his identity. So the best way to do that is by screwing up his name. If I screw up his name a bunch of times, then people will start knowing that he's Fandango. So I said, you know, Fan Dodge Durango and Fan Mango and Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? That sort of thing. And then people would laugh and he said, my name's Fandango, my name's Fandango, my name's Fandango. So we'd get in your head that people say, okay, we know his name is freaking Fandango. So then he automatically starts meaning something. And then it was every week I said he has to lay me out and beat me up every week. So, uh, well, this, you know, so I would have him beat me up and hit me with his leg drop from the top. And, and the one week, it was like, well, you need to get the upper hand this week. I was like, no, he needs to beat me up every week because no one knows who this guy is. They've never seen him work. They assume that I'm going to kill him, and they don't know any of his moves. So when I do a match with them, how can I get any reactions on any kind of false finishes when they've never seen anything he's done? So I figured if I can get that leg drop from the top over, at least people will know what it is, and I can start messing with it for the false finishes and make it a better match. So uh, we, 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 I had him lay me out every week, and then when we actually uh, did the match, um, he beat me. And then uh, the thing about it was the next night at Raw in Meadowlands, now, the show after, after Raw is always amazing with crowd reactions because people just do whatever they want. And I'm sure some of you might have even been there. But it's not just because it's UK fans or it's just people come to WrestleMania and they're hardcore fans. And they come from around the globe, from all across the States and Canada. Tons of people come from the UK. Tons come from Australia, whatever. So the night after Raw, you're taking 70,000 people and whittling it down to 20,000. And these are the real hardcores. And the night after WrestleMania, when people were laughing at first when I was told I was working with Fandango, he was the most over guy on that show. People were dancing to his song. They were singing his song. They were yelling and screaming all night long before he even came out. Fandango, Fandango, Fandango. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm taking full credit for that because... <laughs> And the best thing of all is I got paid the exact same amount of money for working Fandango as I did for the, ti uh, for the ti championship title match I got with CM Punk at WrestleMania 28 earlier uh, in the year uh, with my jacket, with the left-hand side of my body, and with Kurt Angle. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much, man.
All right, I hope you got some laughs listening to me speaking in London at the Leicester Square Theater. At London is Jericho. Chris Jericho live in London. I hope you heard some stories you hadn't heard before. I had a great time doing that show. Hope I can do more of these in the future. Let me say thanks to you for listening. Thanks to you for schwa's on my podcast. I know there's thousands of podcasts you can schwa's from and you schwa's mine. I appreciate that. Thanks for the support and thanks for supporting Talk is Jericho by doing all your online shopping through my Amazon links. You know what I'm saying. It's the easiest way to support the show. One of the reasons Every time you use my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can cover production costs, bandwidth costs, cowbell costs, so many costs. All you got to do is go to podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner top of the page. Eh? Then you click on Talk is Jericho. You see all three of my Amazon links, Amazon UK, Amazon USA, Amazon Canada. Eh? You can buy anything you want on Amazon. Buy the new Fozzie record. Do you want to start a war? Buy the new Chris Jericho book, the third New York Times bestseller I've written. Best in the world at what I have no idea. People are saying it's their favorite Chris Jericho book. I don't know. I love them all. You want to check it out? You want to try it out? You go buy it. You buy whatever you want. You buy a Hulk Hogan DVD. You buy uh, Hulk Hogan uh, uh, Mr. Nanny. You can buy that if you want to. You can buy Hulk Hogan Suburban Commando. You buy Hulk Hogan No Holds Barred. You know why? Because Hulk Hogan would be a great guest for this show. Hmm, that's foreshadowing. But there's no hidden fees. No extra challenges. If you shop on my Amazon link, you're just getting your shopping done. You help me out in the process. So again, podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. You hit the Talk is Jericho button. You buy what you want. You help me out. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Live in London. Talk is Jericho. London is Jericho. I want to tell you, that's another fine, fun-filled edition. Finished. Over. Done. Out. I want you to stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. In the meantime and in between time, we'll see you very soon. But next week on Wednesday, I got Snake Sabo of Skid Row, Rich Ward from Fozzie. We're having a great conversation about rock and roll. It's the best way to get into your New Year's Eve. I bring you the rock. I bring you the roll. I bring you everything you want to hear, and I do it for you. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Merry Christmas and a big yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.